morning, everyone. So good to see you today. Uh, we've been doing this series called I Love My Church, and we've emphasized that this is not a sales pitch series. It's not a gimmick. It's not some kind of a boast, uh, but it's really an invitation for us to be the kind of church that Christ has asked us to be. Uh, this series is like an invitation to make a covenant or a pledge that we be Christ's people united together in this place, in his time, serving his purpose. That's the invitation of this series. And so we started off uh, by laying a few foundational blocks here. And the first one was that we ought to radiate the covenant faithfulness of God. That just like God is faithful to us and sold out and serving and giving uh, to us, that we ought to have that same mindset with one another. And then last week we talked about how we're to radiate Christ's undying love to each other. That we're really to love as Christ loved us. That we're to grace others as we've been graced. And we unpack this verse in John uh, chapter 13 where Jesus says, I give you a new command that you love one another. That just as I've loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The same love that makes for a godly marriage, that makes for a godly family, is also a very foundation to make a godly church. And if we neglect faithfulness and neglect love in our marriages, our family, in the church, not only do we drift, but the world at large really does also drift. That God has intended that we as his people and our marriages, families, and church, that those are the institutions through which God has designed and created the world uh, to, to really be healed and to experience the gospel. And like we have a purpose, we are his instrument. What does God want to do? Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect people so that we bring about God's purpose. I'm imperfect, but my wife loves me. Thank you, Laura. And uh, she's not, she's perfect, so I have no trouble loving her. But, uh, but in your family, there are imperfect people. In the church, we're all imperfect. There's no one else to love except imperfect people. God's perfect. He should be the easiest to love of all. But love is a commitment to imperfect people to bring about God's purpose through love. Now, we talked last week about Ephesians 4.16. And so we're going to drill down a little bit deeper and talk about some tangible aspects of love this morning. In Ephesians 4.16, we talked about how from Jesus, the whole body, now that's a metaphor for the church, how the whole body, like a human body, is fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, how it promotes the growth of the body for the building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now, this verse is loaded, and it provides a beautiful word picture of what God wants his church to be and become. And one of the things that's highlighted here is that first and foremost, he wants us to be truly faithful to one another. This language of a church being united together, fitted together, even knit together there's nothing about those phrases that suggests that there should be something transactional and kind of just handshake, noncommittal about our relationships with each other. In fact, that language of being united and 
fit together and knit together. That's marriage language. And we should take our covenant as a body together with the same seriousness that we take our marriage and our family and our union with God, that we also ought to understand that God wants us to be very sold out and faithful to each other and God's purpose in each other's lives. And what God's joined together for that purpose, let no one separate. It's that strong of language. But in addition, God wants to see us not just faithfully sold out to each other, but also supporting each other and promoting the good of one another. Good marriage. The husband and wife, they promote good for each other. They're not antagonistic. Parents and children, that the family unit, uh, unit promotes good within each member and also in the church. It's the same vision. Love needs an address, right? Uh, you, you have to lay down roots in a marriage, in a family, in a church. Love needs an address. Uh, it needs a place to show up a place, a time. And, uh, and so I want you to be thinking in this series about like anchoring yourself and actually being rooted in relationships where love can become a reality. We are so transactional. And again, we're a handshake culture. The church is like that. And it's not what God intended at all. In fact, uh, I want to mention to you that right now is the perfect time for you to get rooted in relationships and uh, we have groups starting in homes here at the church on many nights of the week for all ages. Like, there's a whole menu of groups that you can check out right now. There are classes that meet on different days of the week, even on Sunday morning. There's teams and ministries. We've got men's ministry. There's women's uh, ministry activities, uh, children's, youth. This is a great time for you to give love an address. And it's not always 225 Toronto Road. It's our homes. We open our homes, you know, wherever two or more are gathered. Uh, love has to become a reality in relational context, right? So go to lakesidechristian.com slash groups if you want to look at all the groups available. Lakesidechristian.com slash groups. And if you're not techie and don't want to get on the internet, uh, in the lobby at the end of the service, Jay Brooks, one of our pastors, will be over in the corner of the lobby over here and there's a table and you can look at a menu of all the groups and connection opportunities. And uh, there's been like a dozen people sign up for groups. And there's a lot of people that are returning to groups. But this is a perfect moment for you to get into a context where you can be the church. But I want to turn our attention this morning to something even more than faithfulness, love. Let's continue to build on this picture. At the end of this verse, Paul talks about the proper working of each individual part of the body of Christ. The proper functioning, working of every part of the body of Christ. That's you and that's me. I don't want to assume that we all understand how the church is to work. So let me just hit a few important doctrinal themes. Number one is uh, the church is like a human body. And so when you think of a human, a person, the thing that's most relatable about that person is their head, their face. And Christ himself is the head of the body of the church. Whenever that metaphor is used, Christ is the head. He has the authority. His mind is to become our mind. Uh, his personality, his character. Like, he is the head. He is the Lord. I love that song that we just did about how we bow down. And he's the Lord in this place. That is so 
core to the idea of Christ being the head of his body. And so we're not interested in making church what you might want it to be. And this church isn't interested in making it what I might want it to be or other people might want it to be or the culture might want it to be. We're here for one purpose, and that is to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of Christ. And I've asked him, what do you want the temperature of the sanctuary to be? Uh, You know, no, not that kind of stuff. But uh, he's Lord, though, right? And he sets the agenda, and he lays down the bedrock of truth, and his voice and his, he sets the cue. He is the head, the Lord, the chief shepherd of this church. And his kingdom come is how we pray. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my marriage, in my family, in this church, that what he wants in heaven is what happens as a reality here among us. So scripture is integral to our teaching and all of our ministries because that's where we hear specifically and tangibly what is the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. We have the gift of the word for that. And prayer is a place where as we hear God's voice, we respond and say, yes, Lord, from our heart, right? So scripture and prayer are very integral to our proper working. Now, if Christ is the head, maybe the Holy Spirit is like the heart. Because there's a lot said about the Holy Spirit in the context of the body. Like, for example, in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one speaking by the Spirit of God, is going to curse Jesus. So think about that. Uh, if, if, If the Spirit of God is in you, you're blessing the name of Jesus, not cursing the name of Jesus. And also, more than that, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like the heart, the, 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 the blood. You know, he is the one that sustains and brings about life and strengthens us and all these beautiful things. So in the body, no head, no heart, no life. And so if a church jettisons the lordship of Christ, that church ceases to be vital and healthy and strong and its death date is set. You see it time and again when a church jettisons the lordship of Christ, which by the way, scripture is part of that equation. You jettison scripture, we're no longer listening to the, the will of God. That church has a timeline, They're, they will it. But when a church leans into the lordship and into the word, uh, the horizon's wide open. And same thing with the Holy Spirit, that when a church gets out of step with the Holy Spirit and rebellious against the Holy Spirit, it's set its date, its death date. So the body is dependent on the head, Christ, and on the spirit. Now you and I are members of the body of Christ. So I'm going to mention a couple of passages the nice thing is, is when I mention stuff and you don't, wanna, you don't have time to write it down, it's okay. You can go online and you can look at the manuscript. But you might want to look at some passages this week. If you want to stretch yourself. Ephesians 4, we're talking about this morning. 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12. 1 Peter 2 and 4. We're going to hit some highlights from these chapters. But these verses talk about you and me. Our identity. And so 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this. It says, now you are the body of Christ. That that sounds like a rallying cry. I I mean, you are the body of Christ. Sometimes we need to be told who we are because we forget who we are. You are the body 
of Christ. Do you get it? Uh, we're going to unpack it. You'll understand it fully by the time we're done here. But I want you to look down the row at somebody near you, some poor soul that's forgotten their identity. I want you to say, you are the body of Christ. Say it with gusto. Go ahead. Complete stranger. Say it. Lay it on him. Come on. I want to hear it. Right? You are the body of Christ. That's the best sermon you can preach right there. And each one of you, each one of you is a part of it. So you might have been sitting there saying, well, you're the body of Christ, but, you know, maybe I'm exempt. You know, I'm a freelancer. I'm a Christian. I I float around. You know, I have no address, no commitment. You know, I'm kind of untied here. No. You are a part of it as well, individually. So Paul goes, like, full tilt with the body imagery in 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about the mind-boggling uh, diversity of functions that exist within the body. And so there's the head, who's Christ, but there's the hand, that sounds pretty essential. There's the foot, but there's also the eye, the ear, the tongue. Like you start to think about it, there's a lot of very vital and important parts of your body and you don't want to be without any of them, right? And sometimes there's like multiple parts of body, you know, like in case one, you know, the other one hopefully works. There are stronger and weaker parts of the body. Uh, There are, uh, Paul uses the language in 1 Corinthians 12, more honorable and less honorable parts of the body. He's not mincing any, he's kind of being a little bit graphic. He's like, there's private parts and they need to be covered in the body of Christ. There There are people that are a vital part of the body, but... You know, maybe because of a circumstance or a weakness in the flesh or, or, or whatever, like, hey, we're going to let this person kind of exist in this space. And we're not going to put them on the stage, you know, or whatever. But there's honorable, more honorable, and less honorable parts. But every part has been fitted and knit together. Think of a baby in a womb being fitted and knit together by the hand of God. What, what if we were to look and understand that, God has brought us together in this time and place and fitted us together and he's trying to knit us together to be something very profound and beautiful. And and the creator, what if he's designed us optimally for this time and place in which we exist as a church to do what he wants for our growth and, and, and our proper functioning? Think about this. Every part of the body in 1 Corinthians 12 has a vested concern and interest in each other part. If one part of your body suffers, I mean, it could be the little pinky toe or whatever, right? If one little part suffers, the whole part suffers with it. No one part can say to the other, you don't matter, we don't need you, or, uh, or nobody's missed you, you know, nobody misses you if you're gone. You know, we don't say those kinds of things. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, it's interesting. Who's the head? Little Tusk. Who's the head of the church? The head can't say to the foot, you're not needed. If Christ can't say that to the foot, you surely can't say that to the foot. So not even the head, Christ, says, hey, you're not important. So there's great diversity of function within the body of Christ. We'll get to that in a moment. There's also great diversity of people from every background, Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave, free, so many different circumstances, painful uh, you know, everybody's coming together. Where there isn't diversity, however, where diversity is not welcome, is 
that there's one Lord, there's one spirit, and there's one baptism. There is a basis for our identity that's not compromisable, that we bow to one Lord, that we are filled with one spirit. And the idea of baptism isn't just immersion, but it's the idea that we've made a pledge together of common faith and doctrine and belief and philosophy. There's a unifying reality here, right? Now, within the body, I suppose that there are parts of the body, people, but parts that can become weak. A weak part of the body has great potential, but it hasn't realized its potential. You know, like, how much can you bench press? Well, right now, but what's your potential? There's always a huge gap. There are weaker parts of the body that haven't been exercised and haven't been developed and haven't even come close to realizing their capacity. So you might be a weakened part of the body because you're under-exercised and involved and under-functioning, quite frankly, to what God designed you to do and to be. Uh, sometimes a part of the body is weak maybe because it's been overused. Not just in the church, every organization, in your workplace. 20% do 80%, have you heard that before? 20% do 80% of the work. Well, if you're in the 20% and you have, there's always a group that spins themselves in the good of an organization, clubs, you name it. In the church, that 20% may be weak and tired and, and maybe needing some rest or refreshment or a Sabbath or a sabbatical even, right? Younger members should relieve those older members. You know, there's a problem if the only person that will work in the nursery is a 90-year-old. Like That's a blessing, but maybe somebody ought to come alongside, right? And a lot of people, they, they have the attitude, they come to the church and like, church take care of everything for my family, for my babies, for every, like, no, you come and you serve alongside. When we all do it, see, you don't have an imbalance of a few doing something for the overwhelming 80, 80% or whatnot. So anyway, there's parts of the body that are weak because they're under-exercised and utilized and under-serving. And I'm just saying, if that's you, this is a moment for you to wrestle with that. Now, I suppose there's other parts of the body that are out of commission uh, or out of the great commandment. The great commission is to go and make disciples of all nations, of all generations, right? And the great commandment is love God and love people. So we can be out of commission. You might be an out of commission, out of step with the great commission part of the body of Christ, which means you're not functioning at all. You're just kind of existing and just kind of hanging out there and maybe you're attending, but maybe that's the extent of it, and we are thankful that you're here. But you're not fulfilling the commission and the commandment by just being present, right? And so sometimes a part that's just hanging there, a body part, is siphoning away life and energy, and people have an expectation. Oh, there's an arm, but then the arm doesn't fulfill its function, so then it's like disappointment, right? And that's how sometimes people are when they come to the body of Christ and as a pastor, you know, you see people that have great potential to do tremendous good, but they're out of commission and they're out of the commandment. They're sidelined by self-selection, by their own choice, not by the will or design of God. It's just, I don't care. I don't want to be involved, you know, and that's not good. God's vision is not for us to be lazy, but it's for us to lean into our functionality and our contribution 
and to do it with our fullest capacity. And are you doing that? Or are you out of commission? Now, there's some parts of the body that at times become cancerous. And I just want to mention this. I don't sense that there's any cancer in our body, but sometimes cancers develop. The very definition of church is membership, that we're members of one another and we're promoting the growth and and functionality and health of each other. But sometimes that doesn't happen in the body and people get off on another agenda or another thing. Ephesians 4, 4 and 5 talks about there is one body and there's one spirit, the spirit of Christ. Just as you were called to one hope at your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. So a cancerous member resists the Holy Spirit. So here's the Spirit. He's leading and, and we're to have the heart of Christ and a cancerous member resists whatever the Spirit wants to see happen. A cancerous member Uh, rejects the central tenets of the faith. Here's the scriptures. Here's the clear counsel of God. And a cancerous member says, nope, I'm exempt. I've got a different view of morality or life or this or that or whatever. A cancerous member refuses the covenantal pledge, the baptism, the spirit of baptism that exists for us to be united around. Uh, A cancerous member bristles at the fatherhood of God. And so... If somebody's weak, if somebody's out of commission, that can be very frustrating to the church. Uh, but a cancerous member, you know, it's not just frustration. A cancerous member can kind of like kill the whole body and kill off entire sections of the body of Christ. When someone's weak, when they're out of commission, you know, you show grace and humility and gentleness and patience and you bear with the weakness of the weaker parts of the body. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. But a cancerous member, you can't allow that cancer to metastasize. So there's times where you have to do surgery and you have to slice and cut and you have to slice and cut hard so that a cancerous person doesn't infect the whole body and change the whole culture that Christ intended us to be into some kind of other, you know, sideshow or whatever they have in mind, right? Now, how does God want us to grow? Let's go back to Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. Grace has been given to each one of us. Not just capital G grace, forgiveness and eternal life and salvation and the righteousness of Christ, but another kind of grace. You've been given grace so that you exude a particular kind of grace. Did you know this? Grace has been given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It says, when he ascended on high, he took captives captive He gave gifts to people. Well, thank you, Jesus. What kind of gift did you give me? What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? And the one who descended is the one who ascended far above all heavens, all the heavens in order to fill all things. God has given us gifts as his people so that we can fill the earth with his glory. Think about it. All the heavens, all the earth, all the universe God wants to fill it with the glory of God. The church isn't supposed to be some kind of like sideshow or even a freak show. We are supposed to be in the universe, not just on heaven and on earth, in the universe. The church is to be the most inspirational, prominent, beautiful, God-glorifying entities of all entities. You think it should be some nation? 
or some military or some celebrity or some, no. It's the church. We ought to be the most spectacular, tangible, visible thing in all the universe because God wants to fill the universe with his glory and he's doing it through his church. The church is elevated far beyond where we elevate it and only the creator of the church and marriage and family could elevate church like he does marriage and family. These are the institutions through which the glory of God pervades. When people look at your marriage, they get a picture of how God loved Israel and Christ loved the church. When they look at your family, they see godly fruit and offspring spreading and filling the earth, literally, right? Because of a godly marriage, there's godly offspring. When they see the church, we ought to just radiate the glory of God in every way. And so these are the institutions God's not going to raise up some nation. The church is that holy nation. God's not going to raise up some new kind of priesthood. We're the royal priesthood. God's not going to have some other like instrument that he's going to use to carry our water for us as a church. We are the institution through which he's advancing his glory to fill the whole universe, right? How does he do it? He gave you a gift, a contribution that you can make, that only you can make. You are very special. Not even Christ will say to you that you are discardable. You are indispensable. I don't know whether you're the foot or the hand or what, but you are indispensable. You are special. God has given you a gift. Now, you have time. You have energy. You have means financially. You have natural talents and abilities and influence and connections. All of that should be leveraged for the strengthening of the church. And many of you are a tremendous blessing because you're leveraging all those things. But in particular, God has given you, in addition to all of that, spiritual gifts. In Ephesians 4, Paul mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, that's Ephesians 4.11. In verse 12... He tells us that some have been gifted with these capacities in order to equip the saints to do their work of ministry, in order to equip the church to build up the body, right? To equip each individual part to do what they're capable of doing. Now, as a pastor, and I think this is true for all of us, when you begin serving, you're kind of a doer. And I've devoted a lot of energy, right, and time doing ministry, and it's absolutely critical that every single one of us do ministry, that we say, you know, I don't come in here and bypass everybody and just appear on a stage and do my pastor thing. No, you've got to be a doer. You've got to, you've got to roll up your sleeves and work just as hard as everybody else. You're not privileged. You're uh, privileged to serve. That's what you are. You're a servant. You're a slave, right? So, but we're all doers, but there's something exponential about being an equipper, what Paul is saying is that all of us are doers without exception, but some of us have the capacity to equip other people to unlock their potential. And we ought to recognize equippers and clear the way for equippers to be equippers. Quite frankly, it's just as easy, it's probably easier in the short term to just do ministry. I'll go make that hospital call. I'll go follow up on that newcomer. I'll share the gospel. I'll do that funeral or wedding or Encourage that person that's discouraged or do that act of mercy or help that homeless person or whatever it might be. 
It's always easier to do the ministry. If you're a parent, I'll just tie this kid's shoe. You know, your, your son or daughter, I'll just tie their shoe. I'll just whatever, right? But there's something, you know, it might take 10 times, you know, it takes a lot of energy to do stuff yourself. And it takes infinitely more energy, though, to equip somebody and to teach them how to do something. You know, to teach someone how to fish, to teach them how to tie their shoe or whatever it might be. Uh, but when you equip others, there's an exponential return on investment, right? So it may take 10 times the energy up front to teach or equip, but on the back end, you're getting 10 times, 50 times, 100 times, or 1,000 times the return. There's an exponential return when you equip. The best use of a church leader's energy is to equip. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians 4. Jesus was always a doer. There is never a moment that I see in the scriptures where Jesus wasn't a doer. But he spent a lion's share of his three years on earth being an equipper of the 12. His intention was to equip them. And it was not an easy task to teach those men to wash each other's feet. It was easier for him just to probably do it himself. The apostle Paul was a doer. He said, follow my example of my life, of my work, of my ministry. Paul worked very hard. He was a tent maker. And, uh, you know, he, he went all out. But he was also an equipper, which means he had an entourage of people that he was always equipping. And in every church he went, he tried to establish elders and deacons and leaders in order to lead that church and to, to equip and, and give that church capacity. So we never graduate beyond doing. But if you're an equipper and you have that capacity, you ought to be... You ought to be leaning into it. Now, all of us at least can be doers, right? So Paul in First Corinthians, in Romans 12, excuse me, he mentions prophecy, serving, teaching, exhorting. And it's interesting what he does. He doesn't just list, list the gifts. He talks about giving, but he says, do it generously. And he talks about leading, he says, do it diligently. And he talks about showing mercy, and he says, do it cheerfully. And he adds these, these adverbs, you know, he, he's saying, don't just do it, do it with gusto and heart and love and generosity and like, you know, do it with joy. And so uh, we all know that people can serve and do things with a sour face or a sour heart. They're doing it and they're helping, but you're like, oh, gee, thanks. You know, you don't have much joy in doing it. Friday night, uh, we went to the fair and when I was going in, we drove into the infield and we're handing our tickets to a lady. And, uh, you know, I was just like doing my thing, right? I was doing whatever. But she, scold she started scolding me. And Laura was over here and she's like raising her eyebrows and she's enjoying it. But the lady's like, come on, mister, smile. You know, I had my hostile resting face on. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I hate it when people tell me, you know, she's like my mom or something. But anyway. Then she starts hitting my arm. I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, come on, I'm serious. You're about to enter the state fair. This is the greatest place that you can be in Sangamon County right now. And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> and I didn't have the heart to tell her, you know, that we got the pass booklet. And we've been here like three or four times. And, you know, my body's worn out from all the walking even though we learned to park in the infield and not way out in some neighborhood, like it saves some steps, but still. And I know it's been nice, but it's still hot, and you sweat when you walk around through all. And I was like, 
And plus, my body's reeling from all the grease intake. You know, and, and that, it's going to be a whole other year before I get excited about corn dogs and elephant ears. I mean, there's a difference. You know, show mercy with cheer. Have joy in your heart. You know, have your heart tell your hostile resting face about the joy of the Lord that's inside, right? I, I thought what we, what we really need, like, we need a church lady, like the state fair lady. We need a church lady. Because sometimes when we come to church, we have that hostile resting face. And we have the joy of the Lord in our heart, but we haven't told our face about it. And so, like, uh, you know, if I have to take communion one more time and celebrate the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, if I have to stand and sing one more song about the greatness of God, I'm going to go crazy. If I am asked to greet one more person and welcome them in the Lord, if somebody comes to me in the lobby and asks me to be in some group or to serve in some, if I have to change one more diaper in that nursery, I haven't had to do that. Thank you, Lord. We need a church lady. We're going to do auditions this week. We need church ladies that confronts people aggressively at the front door and says, Mr. or Mrs. or whatever, you're entering the church. You're entering, you're gathering with the body of Christ. And you're not just a part of it. You have a gift and a, like, we need that person. So any audition, anybody want to audition? All right. Paul lists wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, all these gifts have been given for the common good, not just for you or me, but for the building up of each other. Peter, the apostle, weighs in on this as well in 1 Peter 4. He says, above everything else, maintain constant love for each other because love is going to cover over a multitude of sin. Everything you hate about yourself and your family and your life, everything it's because of sin. Well, love is going to be the thing that's going to undo the sin. So like, Love is our mission, and it's not a small thing. It's a, a big thing and a beautiful thing. And when we're serving each other, we're bringing out the best, not the worst in each other. So love one another constantly. So uh, what does that mean? Well, be hospitable without complaining. He does the same thing Paul does. Uh, you've received a gift. Use it to serve others. Uh, be a good steward of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, you should speak as serving, as speaking the words of God. If anyone serves, do it with the strength that God provides so that God can be glorified in Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. He's going to fill the universe with our radiating love and our radiating faithfulness and the overflow of his spirit and his grace in us. God's going to fill the universe with it. So let's get about it, right? There's gifts of loving, hospitality, serving, speaking. Peter likens our diversity of gifts to a kaleidoscope. When you see that phrase, the varied grace of God, it's loaded. So think of a kaleidoscope. Uh, you look at the church, what do you see? Yes, everybody's under God's grace, but each one has a specific grace. We all collectively have the kaleidoscopic array of all the colors, but you have a color that you contribute uniquely to this kaleidoscopic array of God's grace. You see, 
There's a trillion colors that comprise the glory of Christ himself, but you are a ray of that spectrum of color. The church ought to be the most spectacular, beautiful creature on the face of this earth. They ought to see the most beautiful of all people when they see the church. Seven days of creation. Think of everything that's been created, how beautiful it is. And everything's, when it's created, it's good. But then on the sixth day when God makes Adam and Eve, they're very good, right? And on the seventh day, God rests. But what is to emerge on the seventh day as God rests is a God-glorifying humanity. God wanted Adam and Eve in their marriage and their family to exude his faithfulness and his love. And they missed the mark. And God raised up the nation of Israel to do the same. And Israel missed its mark. All failed to be the people of God, radiating his faithfulness, love, and glory. But now that baton has been handed to the church. And you are the church. And you, each one, are a part of it. And Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you would do the greatest thing on earth and in the universe, that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to exude the kaleidoscopic array of God's glory and love in this dark world. There is something very special about you and me and us, and it's what God wants to do through us. Ephesians 4, the one who descended, ascended far above the heavens, He wants to fill all things. He gave some to be equippers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip the body, the saints, for the work of ministry, that the body would build itself up uh, in love. Now, what is our end game? Until we all reach unity in the faith, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and in the knowledge of God's Son, until we all start growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. You're not to measure up to me, you're to measure up to Christ or whoever, right? We'll no longer be like little children tossed around by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, of human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. You know, that's the world. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up into him who is the head, that's Christ. And from him, the whole body, you and me have been fitted together, knit together by every supporting ligament, to promote the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. You are special and you are a part of something special. Earlier in Ephesians 2, Paul says that you and we are God's workmanship. And we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time since the beginning of creation and eternity for you to do. Have you found your work, your purpose? I want to give three uh, specific invitations. Number one, we have something called the pathway because God has opened up a path. He's opened up a way for you to have life in Christ. And we have a pathway class. We do it uh, every month. And if you aren't in Christ, if you've not received the spirit of the living God, if you haven't discovered the gifts of forgiveness and grace, that is the foundational first step that you need to be thinking about. It's to get into Christ and to become part of his body. So you might want to look into the pathway class. 
It's on our website. It's on the events page. We announce it. We hand out cards. We invite you all the time to it. Put that on your radar if you haven't taken those first steps in Christ. Some of you have been Christians for quite some time. We have a welcome to Lakeside class. And it's designed for those of you who are newer to our fellowship or have been here forever and maybe have never gotten connected in. You can go to Welcome to Lakeside and you can find out about our history and our beliefs and what unites us. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. You can find out about groups and ministries and understand the, the workings of our church. We offer Welcome to Lakeside every month. And we do it on Sunday morning. We try to make it as convenient as possible for anyone that might be willing to take even a baby step. But you're to be a member of the body of Vital Park. And the Welcome to Lakeside is like an orientation for you to get oriented to your greatest purpose, which is to fill the earth with the glory of God. We also have a website. And when you leave this morning, you're going to get a nice little card. Because on our website, we have been doing a lot of work on our website. And it's going to become an app. It was supposed to be ready before today. But it will probably be ready in the next week or so. But we have an app. But you go to our website for right now. And you can create a profile. And on your profile, you give it your unique name, address, I'm sorry, email, phone number, so it keys it into you. But you can take an assessment. And uh, you've heard all these spiritual gifts mentioned. And it's like, whoa, whoa, there's so many of them. Which one do I have? You can take an assessment on spiritual gifts to learn about how God might be moving you through his spirit to serve him uniquely in the body of Christ. So you'll have an invitation to that. There's other assessments on there that you can take to learn about your personality and how God's wired you, and they're all awesome. In addition to the, on that, to the website, there's a place that you can go to learn how to serve, to learn about our ministry teams, to learn about where are those contexts that you can plug into in order to strengthen and build up the body here right now with each other. And again, 80% are on the sidelines. 20% are doing heavy lifting. Maybe you could move from the 80 to the 20% and click on serve or teams or take an assessment and get off the sidelines and get about your purpose. That's the sermon this morning. Let's pray. Dear Father, we pray that we can be responsive to your word, that we can take steps and realize our purpose, that we could radiate your faithfulness and your love and your glory and use these gifts to grace others. Help us to be your instrument, Father. We pray that you lead us deeper into these things. In Jesus' name, amen.